I, I do want to speak to you here. I believe we've got a word for somebody today. I do believe I have a word for somebody today. And I, I usually don't say that, but, but it has been a... Uh, sometimes it's difficult putting these things together, you know. This is difficult having your thoughts and mind and, and collection of what he wants to say come together. And I, and I do believe that there, I have a word for someone. If you take your Bibles and, and turn with me to John. John chapter 14. We're going to read from verse 1 through 6. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, in, in, in the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we don't know whether you goest. We don't know where you're going. So how in the world we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I, I do want to stay within the vein with the theme this month. And I want to title this message, Do You Know the Way? Do you know the way? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord. We've, we've come before you and lifted up worship and praise, God. And I'm, I'm praying right now, Lord Jesus, that this preacher here, that you just anoint my lips, Lord, just to, to preach the word for the edification of your body, of your people that have come here this afternoon to receive a word from you, God. I pray right now that we've left our circumstances and our situations at that door, God, and we've come into this house of praise, God, to give you what you deserve, Lord. I pray that you would meet us here where we're at in Jesus, in your precious and mighty name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Allow me a little bit of liberty this, this afternoon. We're going to dive right in and, uh, and punch it. I'm not going to give much buildup. Uh, usually there's some, a little bit of buildup I try to do, but uh, there's, there's a lot in this particular passage that, to, to unpack, and there's a lot of context I, I want to set. But if, if you're coming into... Into if, you, if this is your first time here, and if you're at Rehoboth uh, in this month of August, our theme for the month has been that term, I am. It's, it's been I am. And, and so far, the preaching, the teaching has been, been focused on that and that, that term. And it, I am is the, the term that, uh, of self-disclosure that God first uh, revealed himself when he was speaking to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. It says, and God says unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, th this statement, this is, this is before the Israelites had become a nation. This is thousands of years before the New Testament. 
And, and the term would, would actually go on to be a foundational piece of how the Israelite people grammatically and linguistically, how did they articulate, how do you express who God is? How do you begin to express it as, as exhaustive as we don't have anything in our vocabulary to actually begin to express all that he has done? And so even in this worship, it cannot, it, it, I, it can't stop. It never really stops because, you know, we can move it along as our program says it, but, but it, you can hand the, the, the mic to another man, but it, it still is going to go on and on. There's not enough praise and not enough worship that we can actually give him that is due him. Amen. And so the Israelite people essentially in doing the best they could, they, 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 they wanted to articulate reverently and, and, and linguistically properly who is God. And, and so they, they set some grammar rules around this, this, this term I am. This is the, the term that he had used when he first revealed himself to Moses. But in, in God's revelation to Moses of who he is, it's not just out of the blue. And just pop out of the bush and say, I am. But, but there's some dialogue that takes place, and, and, and we're going to un- unpack that a little bit. Before that, in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. It says, God says, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of, Egypt, of Israel, out of Egypt. So but before God has revealed to him this 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 who he is, his term of self-disclosure, he, he, he tells Moses and he gives him a pretty tall order and he tells Moses, he says, go in and as we know what the phrase is, let, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Let them go. Now that's a hefty command. That's a pretty tall order. He's told Moses essentially, I want you to walk into the throne room of the most powerful man in the world. And I want you to walk in uninvited, not asked for. And I want you to walk up to the most powerful man in the world. And I want you to demand, okay, that he turn over his entire population, his workforce unto you. And you're not going to pay a dime. You're not going to pay a million dollars. You're not going to pay a hundred thousand dollars. You're not going to pay one dollar. And you are to demand that Pharaoh do it and he do it right now. And there ought to be somebody in here that realizes that you need to go to the enemy and say, look, you're going to turn over our children. You're going to turn over my spouse. You're going to turn them over right now. Walk into the, the throne room of the enemy and say, there's no negotiation that we're, we're, I, I'm not paying for this. You're going to return them right now. Okay, not later, now. And so Moses is 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 tasked with this this calling, this command, and 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 this is natural. And we're speaking of the spiritual, and I'm going to go back to the natural, which is how Moses is operating now. Moses being tasked with this. He, he, there's, there's a significant amount of pressure and Moses does what, what many of us do when, when the, when God gives him a, a directive is he starts asking a question. And, and in Exodus chapter three, verse 11, he says this, he says, who am I? Put the slide. Who am I? Who am I that I should, should, should go in unto Pharaoh that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of of Egypt. Who am I? 
That, that's an extremely loaded question. It's loaded. Because what it is, it's a question that actually begins to point us toward what we would call the transcendent. What I mean by the transcendent, it's, it's, it's when mankind, it's when you and I begin to think, think beyond ourselves and we begin to move us beyond our own abilities and our own world. And it begins to point things toward God. Who am I? It's a loaded question, and, and we, we touched on this within our Bible study series, that there are four questions that the Bible answers. There are four and eight questions that everybody has inside of them that begin to point the way, the direction to God. The first question is, is that it's, it's a question of origin. Where did I come from? Where did I come from? How did all of this get here? It's a question of origin that we all have. If you remember about 10 years ago, they, they had, there was a explosion of ancestry.com. Everybody remember that? And everybody, folks was spitting in vials and sending them back, getting them back to I'm, I'm part Mohican and I'm part this and I'm part the other. But, but what that's feeding into, it's that innate desire that everybody has is we want to know where we came from. The second question that we talked about that the Bible gives the most comprehensive, it gives the most accurate answers for is what's really right and what's really wrong. So it's a question of morality. The third question was, is, is that we all have, it's, it's a question of, of purpose of, of why am I here? Why am I here? What, why are you here? You get up every day, you go to work, then you go, you, you go to sleep, you eat, you get up and you go back to work, go to sleep to eat. And you go through this cycle over and over and over again. And there has to be some questions. Why on earth? What am I really doing it's a question of purpose and then third the fourth question was really what happens after i die what, what what's beyond this 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 breath that i take what's beyond the afterlife now these are the four questions that that we talked about that that the bible is going to give the most comprehensive answers on but these all of these questions point the way back to god but here's here's the point that I want to bring to you this afternoon moses is going to ask this question of who am i who am i and and that question the reason i said it's extremely loaded is because it seemingly rolls those four questions that i just gave you all into one and so if, if, if any of you have children here, if they come up to you and ask you, who am I? You, you can start from a place of origin. Some of you may say, you know, you were born on, on, on December so-and-so. And you begin to talk about, you know, where, where, what hospital you, they, you had them in. You begin to talk about a place of origin. If you want to talk about purpose, you may tell them, what, we, we named you this because it means strength. We named you this because it means peace. You may talk about their purpose. So the question of who am I actually begins to roll all four of those questions into one. But what I wanted you to do is just unpack the magnitude of this moment here because Moses is at, at this point in time, he's an 80 year old man. He's on the backside of the desert and he's sitting in front of a burning bush and he's talking and he's asking the bush, who am I? Here's what I want you to take a look at because I spent most of the time and energy focusing on that point because I want you to, to take a look at the answer in which God gives him. Moses is going to ask a deep question. He's going to ask the question uh, out of pressure. He says, who am I? But watch what, watch what God does. He never answers Moses' question. He doesn't tell him where you're born. He doesn't tell him your, 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 your brother and sister. 
He doesn't tell him even what his purpose is. He doesn't say, Moses, you're the deliverer. But how, how he begins to answer his question, watch this now, is he answers his question by telling him who God is. And watch this. Okay, you hit the next slide. He answers Moses' question of who am I by reversing the question and giving him directive. And he says, I am. I am. He reverses Moses' question. He takes the last two letters and says, I am. And let, let me begin to maybe speak to somebody here today. If you've got questions about who you are, you don't need to turn to psychology. You don't need to turn to philosophy. You don't, you don't, you don't need to turn to astrology. Throw that stuff away. That's of the, that's of the devil. That's witchcraft. Throw that stuff in the garbage. What you need to do is you need to get a better understanding of who he is and then you can better determine who you are. But what happens is too many times we try to figure out ourselves and God is saying, don't figure out yourself. You just need to understand who I am. And once you figure out who I am, you're then going to know all about yourself. And so I want, I want to say this. We can bend this back toward the, the reasoning text in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says this, I am the way. I am the way. And one of the, one of the things in this is I, I've been taking a look and doing assessment of some, some things God has been working on me about. And what I've realized is that I, I've been guilty of always looking for the works of God but not understanding the ways of God. And this is, this is, if you understand the scripture, this is God, what got God so irritated. It got God so agitated, the Israelites, because when they had come out of, out of Egypt, they had seen everything under the sun. They saw water come from a rock. They saw the pillar of fire by night. They saw the cloud by day. They saw manna come down. They, they saw the sun stand still. They'd seen every single work imaginable. But this is what God says. This is what God got them ticked off. He says in Psalms 95, 10, he says, for 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, there are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. They saw the works of God, but they did not understand his ways. And let me caution us here this afternoon. It's entirely possible for you and I to shout, to dance, and to testify some things that have gone on and still not understand his ways. Now, I, I want to do a quick disclaimer. That, that's, that's, I understand this is a walk of faith, and you're not going to understand everything. You're not going to understand every why. And sometimes you've got to worship without understanding the why. But I'm afraid one of the, one of the traps, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, one of the traps that we get into is I get so over obsessed with his works that I don't seek to understand his ways. And you say, preacher, what's the difference between his works and his ways? I'm going to tell you. When I say the works of God, what I'm referring to is essentially it's, it's the individual observable events in your life. 
the stops and the sights in your life along your journey that you can in fact point to and you can point back to and say, I know for a fact that God was in operation there. Those are the works of God. Okay. There are some things you may have a personal testimony in this place that nobody can take from you. Nobody can shake that from you. Those are the works of God. Romans 1.20 says, says this. It says, forever since the creation of the world, his individual attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all his creation, the wonderful things that he has made so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without an excuse and without a defense. You have to understand this is that, that, that there's two, every human beings, what Romans is saying is that anybody claiming that there was not enough evidence to believe in God is not with an excuse. You have no excuse because he's, what he's saying is that the very essence of nature itself the fact that the, the sun is in the sky, the, the wind is going. You woke up this morning without anybody, somebody without an alarm clock. Your heart beats at a certain rap, rapid pace. The, all of that should have testified, let you know that God is screaming to you that I am here. I'm here. I'm present in your world. I'm not distant from you. I'm not, I'm not disconnected. I'm in operation here. I'm flowing and going in the means and the nuances of your life. I'm here. And so that's why it says that, that anybody claiming to say, I don't believe in God will not be without, they won't have an excuse. The agnostic will not have an excuse to say there, I have to, I didn't know. I, I, you never did anything for me. Nature itself tells you that. That's why you can go on the street and, and if, 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 just interview people, talk to folks. And, and you, you, you shouldn't at all have, you won't cause too much controversy or disruption if you begin to speak to people and ask them if they believe in God. Nine out of ten people, mo- most people say yes. Okay. Whether they call it the right God is one thing. But, but, but folks believe in God. Why? Because nature itself testifies. But here, here, here's, this is the point that I want to drive home this, this afternoon. Here's what I believe. I believe that God is not satisfied with you and I simply observing his word. I believe that God wants you to know his ways. I believe he wants you to know his ways in a deeper more profound manner than you've ever known him. And so when we talk about the ways of God, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the long game, the entirety of the journey. We're talking about the mannerisms and the nuances of of how he operates. When we talk about a person's ways, here's what it is. It's a combination of how someone works and why they work. Why we do what we do. That term, the way. In the Hebrew, it's, it's Derek. Derek. It's like Derek. Derek. And Pastor Chris stated this, this two, two weeks ago. And, and when Jesus says that term, I am, he's essentially, he's stating that he's the entirety of the journey. He's the, he's the front to the back to the middle all around. He's, 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 he's not just a one-trick pony. He's, not, he, he's everything and all in between. I am the way. I'm the direct. And Jesus is making that statement, I am the direct, I am the way. And what he's doing is he's taking that exhaustive statement of who God is. And what he's doing is he's streamlining it down to pointing to himself and saying, everything that you need is in me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the light. (laughs) 
Let me share this with you. The reason oftentimes our engagements with God are stymied and they suffer is because the majority of us have engagements with God that are what I call transactional versus relational. You know what I mean by transactional? Transactional means you only look at the next work and what he's done for you lately. Transactional means is that, that, that it's, it's all depending on, 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 on an observable event, some mighty work to some grand act. That's how our relationship with God oftentimes is. Okay? In a majority of the human relationships, you know what, that we engage in are what I would call transactional. What have you done for me? What have I done for you? None of it's relational. Young people, I want to begin to speak to you a little bit here. This is the entire problem where when we call sex before marriage. Because we get involved with sex before marriage, what happens is the relationship starts out and it's centered around that sexual engagement and nothing else. And what happens is when the sexual, when the, when the, when the fireworks fade, when it falters, when it wanes, you have nothing else to go back on. Okay. And, and what happens is all of a sudden everything is old and it's tired and it's tainted, but there's no relation to fall back. And what God is trying to tell us here is I want our engagements to be relational. They're not based on whether he shows up or whether he doesn't show up, whether his works are, or, or, well, well, while you or not while you, are you in it till the end? Are you, will you be swayed by every ebb and flow of life? That's why, you know what they call the, the, the original followers of Jesus Christ? They, this is before, they didn't call them Christians to start out with. But they actually called them followers of the way. Followers of the way. Watch this now. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 through 2 says this. It says, now Saul, still breathing threats and, and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging, watch, listen, to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts 24, 4, says, this is Paul, and he's now, he's, he's giving an admission. This is what he did before Christ. This is B.C. He says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. And what Paul is simply saying, Paul, Paul is a thundercat, okay? Paul is simply saying, he's like, look, I, 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 I didn't care if it was man or woman. I threw them all in prison, and they were followers of the way. Acts chapter 24, verse 14, he says this, but this I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. They were originally called followers of of the way. Meaning that these people, they weren't just with Jesus for a one-stop shop. I'm not just with you for a miracle. I'm not just with you for a one-time event. Church, I'm not just with you when the church is going well. I'm not just with you when all of a sudden the worship is going. I'm not just with Jesus when the church has got a picnic or when the church is handing out food. I'm not just with Jesus, but I'm here for the entire ride. Okay, ask yourself this afternoon, are you a follower of the works? Are you a follower of the way? Ask yourself that. Are you a follower only of the works? Are you a follower of the way? And here's what I want to do. I want to bring this thing together so we can, so we can understand this is, this is, this is about entirety. It's not just, I, I can't just separate the works of God and the way of God and say only follow the way. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's neither, it's, it's, it's not either or, but it's both. It's both. 
Because you're going to have to take a look, and many times you're going to have to go back and look at the, the, the works that he's done for you and the milestones and the landmarks in your life, and those are going to be the points in which you base your faith on. But what I'm saying is don't, 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 don't over-obsess with those, those, the presence or the absence of those works to the point where you begin to ebb and flow in your relationship with him. What I want to know is I want to know, do you know the way? Do you know what he's telling you? Do you know how he's, he operates in your life? Do you, do you know the sound of his voice? Do you understand when he calls your name? Do you understand how he talks to you in the morning? Do you understand the difference between his voice and the voices of the world and all the other voices that are, that are at play in this world? Can you recognize his voice when he calls your name? Do you know the way? You see, the problem in Jesus' ministry was this, was that, that quite frankly, it got to the point where the, the, the miracles that were he, was, he was doing, and understand that he did many miracles during his ministry on earth, but there were people that still were not converted because of the miracles. You know that? They'd seen everything under the sun, but there was no conversion. And the reason there was no conversion is because there were people that exclusively followed him because only because of the works. And that's why at Pentecost, the Bible says at Pentecost, here's, here's the difference at Pentecost when the Bible says the Holy Ghost was, was poured out and they begin to speak with other tongues. Watch what these men say because they respond. They weren't just satisfied with having good church. They weren't just satisfied with hearing people talking in tongues. But what they responded by is they responded by saying, what meaneth this? In other words, what does this mean? I want to know. I don't, I don't want to just experience this, but I want to know what it means for my life. Peter steps in and he begins to preach to him. And then they respond. You know what they say? What do we do? What do we do? We want to know the way. We want to know how to respond. We're not here. We're not satisfied simply for a good time, a good time in the Holy Ghost and to leave and go back home and be the same. We want to know how can we be changed? That's what I want to know. I want to know the way. I want this thing going uh, uh, operation, not just today, but on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday. I don't want to have to come back and say, oh, I need another filling on Sunday. Uh-uh. I need to know the way. I need you still speaking throughout the remainder of my week to me in those moments when nobody is around. I need to know your way. Proverbs 30, 18 through 19 says this. This is King of Gurus. says, there, there be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four, which I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent upon a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. When you understand somebody's ways, it's personal. It's personal. You understand the nuances of why they do what they do. And what seems strange to the world, what seems strange to those that are around you is not strange to you because you understand his ways. You understand how he's speaking to you, how he's talking to you, how he's operating in your life. Seek to understand his ways. And, and what I'm going to do here is, is I'm going to close real, real quickly here, but I'm going to give you three things, and these are scriptural, okay? but I'm going to give you three ways in which God works. Okay, Three ways in which God works. First way, I like to call it the stretch. Call it the stretch. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. 
Bible says God tells Moses to, to, to essentially walk into the throne room of the most powerful man in the world. He tells him to release, tell him to release the people. And he tells Pharaoh to, to give him, give him his entire slave labor force. And he says, I want you to tell him to do it now. That's, you know what? That's not like a straight mafia move right there, right? You know, kick open the door and say, I want 30%, you know, on 30%. Demand it, you know. He told, he told Moses, go walk in, walk in and just, just demand it. And Moses, on the other hand, is, is, is sitting there and he gets a directive from God. He starts feeling the pressure because this calling on his life, it's, it's so high, it's so big, it's so lofty, it's beyond his skill set, it's beyond his confidence, it's beyond his comfort, it's beyond his ability. And it's going to cause him to stretch, to stretch, to which Moses responds with the question, who am I? And one of the ways that God will often interact with you, child of God, is that he will reveal a plan, he will reveal a vision, he will reveal a goal, a glimpse of your future self operating in a form of purity, operating in power, operating in the spirit. And in that glimpse or vision, it's going to seem so lofty, so high, so over the top, so, so big that you know what we do is we immediately, we begin to shut down. That's what we do. We shut it down. That's what we do in the natural. Because we look at how big the dream is. We look at how big the glimpse, the, 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 the calling is. We look at how big that is. And then we look at who we are. And then we look again at the dream. And then we look at our own capabilities. And then we look at, again at the dream. And then we look at our capabilities. And what ends up happening, child of God, is, is, is here's what ends up happening. Okay. He puts, he puts the dream out there to begin to stretch you a little bit. So potentially you will take a step out and he says, look, I'll make up the rest. I just need you to step out in faith a little bit here. I just need to stretch you a little bit here. But if you're going to sit there and sit it down and shut down and hear me, hear me now, hear me now this afternoon, because the reason why some of us are so irritated and frustrated is because you have a calling on your life and you've not responded the same way that God has been calling you to do so. And so we keep going around in circles, around in circles, just like this. He said, Lord, when are you going to do it? Lord, you do it. And he said, no, you step out. You stretch. You step out. You go to. I've already put the calling, but I need you to respond in the way I've called you to. The stretch. He will stretch you. God puts dreams in your hearts that are beyond your abilities to get you to step out in faith. But you can do one or two things. You can just shut it down and say, I'm never going to achieve that. You can look at your own abilities. You can look at your own skill sets. You can look at your own talents. You can look at your own flaws. You can look at your own past and sit there where you are. Or you can, in fact, step out in faith and begin to trust and say, you know what? He knows a lot better than I do. The stretch. Second, I call it the delay. This is called the delay. Many of you have heard me preaching this before. It's called the delay. John chapter 11, verse 5 through 6. Now says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days in the same place where he was. The delay. Now you're getting it. What's happening here? Okay. So, so let, let me just, just explain this to you. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be blunt. Okay, the Bible says that Lazarus was sick, very sick. 
And, and, and when Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick, Bible says that he didn't go to see him. He stayed in the same place that he was two days, two days. So essentially by the time that Jesus gets there, it's, 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 it's so late. They're beyond the funeral. You get that. Lazarus is actually in the grave. Jesus didn't even show up for the funeral. He sat there and let the guy die. Yeah. Take that in for a second. He sat there and let the guy die. It was so bad that when the Bible says Jesus showed up and, and Martha kind of has his reservation and she's, as he's about to say, hey, you know, bring him forth. She's, Lord, he's thinking by now. He's, he's decomposing by now. She said, what, 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 what are you doing? He's in the grave. He's in the grave. Now, now, understand this, because God, once you get to give you some biblical context, this is very important. Okay, in biblical times, okay, this is according to, this is not me, this is not me now, but according to rabbinical literature, what they actually believe is they actually believe that the spirit hovered over the body for about three to four days. And so anybody that was in a state of a coma or you were at sickness and you were bedridden, you were unresponsive, if you came back, it's kind of, you know, we put you on life support in our, our culture today. If you came back, they would always say, you know, well, well, you know, he was on the brink, you know. But what Jesus does, he said, uh-uh, we're going to wait till this joker is dead and well dead. In the grave. In the grave. And he delays in such a way to show that the fact that Lazarus is dead. And hear me now, because some of the ways that God will operate in our lives is he will delay activity. He will delay answers to prayer. He will let some things in your life begin to start to die, to die. He will let some things in your life go to the grave. And he will do so in a way, okay, do so in a way that when he begins to resurrect them, there's no way that you can rationalize, that you can intellectualize. There's no way that you can ever say that, oh, well, well, I was going to get the job anyways. <laughs> they, they were going to call me. I was in the running. No, you weren't in the running. Okay. Hear me now. Send me in here. You've had setbacks. You've had heartaches. You've had dreams that you've written off. Some of you have written off some things as dead. Some of you have had loved ones that, that you've been pleading, that you've been praying, that you've been crying for to come back to God. You've gotten to a point where it's wearied on you and you've written it off as dead. Some of you, you have marriages that have broken up, that have been, been shattered to a point where you say, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say anymore. But I'm here to tell you that, that, that you need to believe in God, that he can bring those, those dead things back to life. That some of the time what he's going to do is he's going to let there be a little delay so you can let some stuff go so that when he resurrects it, you can say, oh, Lord, <laughs> I know there wasn't a chance that anything I did in it. It had to be God because this thing was in the grave. This thing was under the ground. This thing was done. This thing we put a four, it, it was finished. But when God stepped into the situation, I know it had to be an act of God. The delay. 
third thing is the last one. The blinders. The blinders. John 14, 1 through 6 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That there I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, in the way, you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, how we know the way? Next time somebody say, you know, you know the way. I, I don't even know where you're going. What are you talking about? I, I mean, this is a logical question. Logical question from Thomas. Logical question. Our opening text from, from John chapter 14, understand the context of this. I want to back up a chapter. Jesus begins, and this has been a heavy night for the disciples, and, and, and you have to understand in John chapter 13, he had laid it on them. He laid it on them real good, but he had told them, I am going to die. I'm going to die. And, and, and this is very heavy. And so when you open up with John chapter 14, you have to understand the context of chapter 13. And that's why he begins by saying, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just, just take, if you take anything this afternoon, just take that. Do not be afraid. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your situations, don't be afraid. Let me tell you again. Do not be afraid. Now, now, in, in biblical times, the weddings were different than how we do in the West. You understand that, okay? In biblical times, what would actually happen is the, the, the groom, once the, the marriage arrangement, arrangement was actually made, what the groom would do is, is he would actually go away. He would go away. And what he would do is he would go and actually prepare a place for his bride. And, and, and while he went and prepared a place for his bride, what would happen is, is she would consistently have to be ready. She had to be ready because when he returned and he would return at any minute, it could be anywhere between a, a day or 12 months. She didn't know at all. It was unbeknownst to her. When he left, he would actually actually come back. And, and, and what would happen is that she had to sit there in anticipation, having been ready, waiting for her groom to come back at any minute. She was completely in the dark. She, she had the blinders on. You know what I'm saying? The blinders. She didn't, she didn't know when the groom was going to return. And here, here's what it reminds me of. There's, there's, there's a story that was told to me one time. There's a story of a, a man that, that God had given him a directive. And God had told this man that, that I, I want you to push against this rock. I want you to push against this rock. I want you to, I want you to push the rock. And as, as the story goes, the man faithfully pushed against the rock every single day. It was a massive rock that he, that, was, that he was trying to move. And every day he went out there and he began to push against the rock. But, but, but he got so irritated, he got frustrated because in, in his faithfulness, the rock did not budge. It didn't move. It didn't go anywhere. And, 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 and he began to cry out to God and he prayed to God, says, will you help me move the rock? Will you help me? And, and he began to push the rock and he pushed, but, but the rock never moved. It never moved. Finally, he got so fed up with the thing. He says, what in the world am I doing? What, what, what am I doing? He began to push against the rock every day. 
And God spoke to him. And God says, look, I never meant for you to move the rock. God built him a mirror of himself. And the man that was started out in this stature looked like this. His muscles had grown. His thighs were bigger. It's bigger. And let me begin to speak to some of you today. Is God's got some of you in circumstances and situations in which you've been pushing against and pushing against and pushing against. And God is saying to you, look, okay, I never meant for this, for you to move the circumstance. I never meant for you to change the circumstance, but what I meant for is the circumstance to change you. But what he does, what he does is he puts blinders on us. He puts blinders on us. So that you can consistently stay in the circumstance. And some of you are in jobs right now where you're doing your best to live holy. Some of you in situations right now where you're, where you're, where you're, where you're in a home and you're the only one that's trying to bring some Holy Ghost in that home. Some of you right now are, are, are in circumstance, situation, it's frustrated because God, why is this moving? It's not moving. And God says, don't worry about that. I'm going to move it when I get ready, but I'm just working on you right now. I, I, I'm going to change that. I can change that within a snap of a finger, but I'm doing the work on you right now. And, and what he's trying to do is show you in the mirror is all of a sudden you got a little bit more patience. All of a sudden you got a little more prayer. All of a sudden you can know a little bit more about your Bible because you've had to pour yourself in him the entire time. Let's stand. Let's stand. We're going to close here. But I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you know the way? Do you know the way? I'm asking you because this is what I got convicted on. I got convicted on consistently always looking his works and not understanding his ways. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the pattern to know him. I want to know him deeper because here's what's going to happen is our world, they cut me off. Our world, you're no longer going to be able to look externally to see what's going on and engage your temperature. You're going to have to know him beyond anything that you have to know. You're going to have to know how he moves in his paths. You're going to have to know when he places you in situations and begin to speak to somebody, share the gospel with them. You're going to have to know him to begin to reach out and pray for somebody that you never thought you would pray for at all. But you're going to have to be sensitive and know how he speaks to you and how he talks to you. You know the way. Now, it's your first time here. I'm going to ask you three questions, okay? First question is, is that, have you repented? Have you repented of your sins? Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Because it's two parts. Some of you, you've already done all these three, and this is, this is, this is more for those, you know, this, you can go two ways with this. It's essentially convicting for us that have already had a walk with him and we may have kind of led, been led astray and we need to go back to, back to being followers of the way. But for, for those of you that never have actually accepted him as your Lord and Savior, have your pen. The second question is, is that 
and baptized for the remission of your sins. That word remission is what we use for the word of wiping away, remission. That's why we say if someone has cancer, cancer is remission. But remission of sin, baptism is for the remission of those sins. Heaven baptized. Third question here. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? I'm going to open up this altar. And I'm going to pray with you. We'll pray with you. But I'm not going to pray that God does a work in your life. I'm done with works. He's done too many works for me that I can't even describe. He's done. He's been so good to me. He's done more to me than I ever have done to him. He's been beyond good to me. But I'm tired of works here. I want to know his ways. I want to understand him deeper. I want to understand him more. I want to understand the intricacies of of why. I I, I want to know the ways of God. I'm going to invite you to this altar. And we'll pray. But remember, I want you to know the way. This altar is open.